Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Borst, and I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church. Thanks so much for joining us today and listening to this podcast. And also, I want to thank you for those of you who have subscribed to this. Uh, that just helps out a great deal, and uh, it helps us to continue uh, sharing this content. And if you'd like to subscribe and you haven't done so, you're certainly welcome to do that. I also want to invite anybody uh, that's listening, if you would like to give to Life Church and continue this work that we get to be a part of. So much of what we're doing now has gone much more digital now in the face of this pandemic. Uh, so much of what we've done in person has been limited. And so we've had to adjust, we've had to reinvent, we've had to rethink how we steward the finances that are given to us. And now a lot of that is directed at our digital work. And this is one of those elements. And so we thank you for your contributions to make something like this possible. Uh, today, you're going to hear the third installment of our He Will Be Called series. And uh, this one's from me. I'm given a message about the third title that's given to Jesus prophetically hundreds of years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. It's Everlasting Father. And we do, uh, I, I want to encourage you to listen all the way through to the end uh, because I recognize that many of you have had different uh, stories in regards to your earthly father. Uh, but what's most important is that, is that we see God as Heavenly Father, regardless of any circumstance that we've come through. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you take your time with this one. And uh, and then join us for Christmas. We'll see you soon. Good to be with you. Welcome, everybody, to Life Church. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are so excited to have you with us, especially if you're watching online. We're glad that you have decided to stop by and hang out with us digitally. And if you are here with us online, go ahead and let us know. Maybe if it's your first time, let us know that. But even more importantly, make sure to connect with us. And we are providing links all throughout the comments section. You can just click on that link, connect with us, take your next step. We'd love to meet you and get you involved here. Uh, We are in a series called He Shall Be Called, or He Will Be Called, and we get that directly out of a piece of scripture. We get that out of Isaiah, which is this prophetic book which speaks to this coming figure that's going to bring hope to an entire generation of people and beyond, ultimately, is what we find out. And so the reason we've been looking at this passage is because it talks about the names that are going to be given to Jesus And Jesus is who we celebrate on Christmas. And so I want to say early on, Merry Christmas to everybody. This is what we are talking about. He will be called. These are the names. And this is what we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of So far, we've talked about two names that are given to Jesus, at least this messianic figure that Isaiah is hoping for. And it's wonderful counselor, mighty God, already we've talked about those. And so if you didn't get a chance to hear those messages, I want to encourage you to go back on our website. You can look at those at any time. But today, we are going to be talking about this title, Everlasting Father. Father. When I say that word, what comes to mind? What emotions are stirred within you, if at all? 
And let me ask you a question, actually, and for those of you watching online, you can engage in the comments section and answer any of these questions at any point throughout the message. But my question to you is, when you hear the word father, what functions do we traditionally assign to that role in our culture? Like, what do we think a father is supposed to do or supposed to be? Uh, Maybe oftentimes it's some of those more stereotypical ones, like all dads have to grill for some reason. I don't know, like moms don't grill, I guess. I'm not sure why that is. Or all dads change tires or jumpstart cars or teach you how to tie a tie. Or maybe they just wear a clip-on tie and just go for the easy route. I don't know. Uh, But sometimes I think we think about these more stereotypical jobs that are assigned to fathers in our culture. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, there's this guy, his name's Rob Kenny, and he's a YouTube, I don't know, sensation, uh, if he's a sensation yet, but he's on YouTube. He's got his own YouTube channel, and the channel is called Dad, How Do I? And basically, it's this guy, Rob, teaching kids what I guess dads would traditionally teach to kids. Specifically, he's giving what he calls dad vice to people who grew up maybe without a father figure. And he's teaching different things like how to change a tire, how to tie a tie, how to uh, jumpstart a car, various things like that. Now, that's great. All of those things are good. But there's, there's more to just a father, right? And that's what we're going to talk a little bit more about today. But I want to get you to think about this. Maybe for some of you, you do have fond memories of your dad. Maybe he taught you some of those things that you now know. For others, when I say the word father, maybe it brings up a little bit more negative emotion. Maybe the word father has kind of a a negative connotation attached to it. Maybe your father was absent. Maybe they were non-existent altogether. Maybe you had a dad that was there physically, but not there emotionally spiritually, mentally. And so this all brings up some negative emotions, potentially talking about this idea of God being a father. I think about this for myself. I personally have a great relationship with my dad, had a great dad growing up, still consider him a great father. But I too am a father, and I think about my role as a father and how important it is to me. But some of my fears about being a father, as well as being a pastor, are, are that my kids are going to grow up having really weird ideas about who God is as father and what the church is to be, uh, supposed to be about. I've heard t- way too many horror stories of dads who are pastors uh, where their kids have actually grown up and completely left the church altogether and even left the faith because they'll say things like, well, my dad had all of this time in the world for the church, but he had no time for me. Or my, my dad loved all of the people at the church, but he didn't really show me genuine love. My, my biggest fear, and I've maybe shared this before, is I don't want my kids to grow up with a misunderstanding of what fatherhood is supposed to be like, much less what God the Father is supposed to be like. So I want to talk about fatherhood and even fatherlessness, because fatherlessness is kind of a big topic in our culture, in case you haven't paid attention in the last 20 years. Uh, And there's actually just a whole lot of stats about fatherlessness and the impact of fatherlessness on kids. And I could share those. We could go through charts and graphs and I could show you pictures, but I don't know if it's necessarily helpful. See, I think sometimes in showing stats uh, about fatherlessness and the impact, the negative impact on children, sometimes what it does is it actually assumes that a child who grows up without a father is somehow less than complete. Uh, that they're not a full, well-rounded person, 
Or it can sometimes even diminish the work that the mother put into raising that child. And, and sometimes even, um, it, it just doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't tell the whole story. I was talking with some of our staff members earlier uh, this week, uh, some of them who actually grew up with uh, just father figures that weren't present in the home or weren't there maybe emotionally, and all of them have grown up to be very well-rounded, dynamic, confident people of God. So there, there's, there's a hesitancy in sharing some stats. Also, I would say that a lot of the stats can often be misleading to the conversation. You've got to ask questions. Okay, who was polled? What community? What part of the country was polled? And, and actually, as I did some of my own digging, uh, my own digging deeper into stats about fatherlessness, it showed this whole other side of the story that was a mischaracterization of people of color, specifically black communities and black families, and they did not take into account this whole history of slavery and the genesis of mass incarceration and all of these other socioeconomic inequalities, and yet they paint this negative picture on the families. So what I don't want to do is just go to that and force this sort of manipulated fear and anxiety in the room. I want to talk about biblical fathering, but before I do, can we just all agree, can we assume that for now the role of the father is an important one? Let's just leave it at that and discuss from here on out. Fathering is an important role. So far, all of what I've been talking about, though, has been about cultural Fathering. There's a major distinction that we have to make between cultural fathering and biblical fathering. Massive difference. Cultural fathering are uh, oftentimes the, the things that I've talked about so far. The dads grill, like dads change tires, dads jump start cars, or whatever it might be. All of those things are attached to our culture, right? Those are functions of a father. And, and we think that, you know, fathers are the ones that have to teach their kids a how to throw a baseball or something like that, but then we assume maybe that mothers can't do those things. Also, there's a problem with that, that it becomes an issue when we equate those roles and those functions with the success of a father. I want to ask you a question, though. How do we know when a father is successful? At what point is a father successful? This is why we have to talk about biblical fathering which looks completely and entirely different. The functions of a biblical father reach beyond just some of these earthly, temporary stereotypes. And if we look at the highest standard of biblical fathering, we have to look at God. God the Father, who is the ultimate, the best father. And not only do we talk about God as father in terms of his functions, which are important, but his functions are equal to his attributes, What he does is also who he is. So not only does God love, but God is love. Not only does God provide, but God is providence. His functions are directly attached to his attributes. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, we don't necessarily see the title Father near as much as we do in the New Testament, but we come to know God as Father because of some of his functions. And not only his functions, but what he calls his people to do as an extension of his fathering. And we see this for the nation of Israel. They're called the orphan, essentially. 
Let me show you what I'm talking about. There's a few scriptures that talk about this fatherlessness idea and how God sort of is the father to this orphan child or this orphan nation of Israel who is wandering about without a father. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. In Psalm 82, verse 3, it says, defend the cause. Now he's talking to the people. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and oppressed. Also in Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And then Hosea says, for in you, the fatherless find compassion. We get this overarching narrative, this theme about God's heart as a father, for an entire nation of people who is considered an orphan. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you've grown up with the Bible, you've probably come across scriptures like this, you've come across this idea that God is a father. And and that's good, and that maybe gives you sort of a warm, fuzzy feeling, and all of that's good. But I think it's important to understand the context in which these verses come. Because that sets God fully apart from the rest. It makes him look so much different than how the rest of the ancient culture would have understood the divine world and the divine order. So here's what's important to recognize. God is seen as father, and part of that has a lot to do with sort of this male-dominated community and culture in that time, and all of that makes sense, and we could talk about that. But I think what's even more fascinating is this idea that a deity is is even considered any kind of parental figure that is connected to things like love and care and compassion and justice and protection and providence. Like that is a totally radical idea in the context of Israel and in the context of that ancient culture. You just, this was just unheard of. In that world and in that time, there are other empires and nations who are polytheistic. Right? They believed in multiple gods, and all of these different gods had different attributes and different functions that they were all responsible for and to. And humanity was there simply to appease these gods. Humanity just needed to make these gods happy. In other words, uh, if there was a god of agriculture or a god of fertility or something like that, you wanted to appease these gods. You wanted to make them happy so that life would go well for you. So if you wanted your wife to bear a child, you would appease that God. You would make an offering, some kind of a sacrifice to make them happy so that they would do something for you. What what we need to understand is that this is purely a transactional kind of relationship between humanity and their gods. Just make them happy. Now, if it doesn't work out for you, if your crops don't grow, well, you must have done something wrong. You must have angered the gods somehow, and so they're not coming through for you. You can imagine in this ancient culture living in a constant state of anxiety and fear and shame. It was a very shame-based culture. Now enter Israel's God, who they called Yahweh. And his story is different. Their culture is different. How they understand the divine is very different compared to the rest of the world. See, the way they understand it is that there's this story where normally all of these stories of how the world came to be about was through violence and chaos, but then this story, Israel's story, says that the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos and spoke light and life 
into existence. He created and he called his creation good. And there's pleasure involved. And then he gets to another part of the creation, humanity, and he calls it very good. And then we get to this humanity. They call them Adam and Eve. And it says in Genesis 2, verse 25, that Adam and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. No sense of fear. No sense that they were lacking anything. There is constant providence and protection over humanity. And humanity doesn't have to do anything to earn it. There's no transaction. Creativity and love and goodness simply flow out of this God because it's not just what he does, it's who he is. This is a radically different idea and understanding of the divine, of God. But here's the thing. The relationship gets broken. Right? The, the children rebel against the father, as it were. They go a separate way. They essentially say, well, we don't actually need you. We've got this thing figured out. We're going to go our own way. We don't need to put our trust in you, even though you're the one that gave us life. That gave us everything that we need for life. You embody all of the attributes. Yeah, we just don't need those. And they rebelled. And you would think that at that moment, the story would be over. That the Father, that God would simply say, oh, okay, you don't want anything to do with me? All right, peace. See you later. Couldn't be further from the truth. Immediately, God turns and works to restore the broken relationship with humanity and, in fact, all of creation. He can't help it. He has to restore the relationship. He makes a covenant. He actually initiates a promise to restore the relationship. And, and gives them ideas and pictures and visions of what this actually is going to look like, this whole process for restoration and renewal. He's the one initiating it, even though they were the ones that rebelled. Because this is who God is. This, in an ancient world, is a totally foreign concept when talking about deities. God looks at humanity broken and alone and tired and naked and doesn't say, serves you right. You should have known better. No. He works to restore the relationship. Remember the verses that we read, that he defends the cause of the weak, the fatherless, the poor, the foreigner. Those that are on the outside, he wants to bring on the inside. He is relentless in his pursuit of restoration with humanity and all of creation. This, this is what biblical fathering looks like. This is the definition of successful fathering. One who creates, and not just creates, but actually creates a place of safety and a place where there is no shame. Pure, unadulterated love, and care, and compassion. And then by the time we get to Isaiah, We've got this orphan, rebellious child, this nation of Israel who has gone astray many times and God keeps working. He's relentlessly pursuing to restore the relationship and Israel keeps going away. And Isaiah says, no, I'm going to give you hope for the future. There's going to be one that will be not just father, but everlasting father. That 
His attribute as Father is never going to change. It's never going to stop. His love, His grace, His mercy is always going to be flowing. It's never going to have an end in sight. See, we could talk for days and days about how He's Father, and that alone would be enough to talk about. Like, that alone would be enough. We could simply just talk about Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father, Prince of Peace, and we could stop there and be totally fine. Because already God, this God, Yahweh, is set apart from any competition as if there was any competition. But then we get extra. We get he is everlasting, Father. There is no end to his love and his grace and his mercy. And then we sang this song a moment ago. Love came down and rescued me. I am yours. I am forever yours. Jesus comes onto the scene. They, they had some idea of what God the Father was like. They had some idea of what mighty God might be like, might look like, until Jesus shows up on the scene and everything changes. Isaiah was speaking about this messianic figure that would show up, and it's Jesus. Now, I don't want us to be con- confused. If you've grown up in the church or have read your Bible a little bit, you've probably heard about this term, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What we are not saying is that Jesus is now the Father. No. God is still Father, and Jesus refers to God as Father. Jesus is the Son. But the fact that he will be called Everlasting Father is that Jesus is the extension of this fathering function and attribute of God. Jesus is the perfect image and the perfect representation of God in human form. God's people are finally introduced to what a true and everlasting father are truly like. They get a whole new picture. And now there is hope and there is joy. And it's why we get giddy and excited around Christmas time because finally there is this arrival of a father figure who is perfect, who is always there, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. And I get this in John chapter 14, verse 18. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, these descendants of this orphan Israelite nation, and he says this to them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Can you imagine what's going through their mind, this ancient people who have known themselves to be orphans, who have known themselves to be rebellious against God, and now Jesus embodies the Father and says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God doesn't want to leave us fatherless. And not just for like a little while, but forever. Forever. Forever we will no longer have the title of orphan, but now child, son, daughter of this perfect father. And here's the thing. He could just say it and that would be good enough, but he seals the deal. He closes it down. He's willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that rebellion is no longer a barrier between us and him. And so he goes to the cross and he 
He uses the cross as sort of this down payment, right, for sole custody of his children and for all of creation. Now it's not just for one tiny little nation in the Middle East. No, it's the whole world. The whole world gets to experience this. He makes a down payment on the cross, but it doesn't stop there. He completes the full payment by three days rising again to full-on resurrection, which proves his eternality. Right, His everlasting attribute as Father. And now you and I get to share in that everlasting life. His everlasting Father. We get to participate in the life everlasting. For some of you, we talked about earthly fathers. Some of your earthly fathers have failed you. But even if you had a good father, they have or probably will fail you at some point along the way. I, as a father, have and will fail my kids. That's just a reality. When we're talking about biblical fathering, the standard is perfection. The standard is God. All of us, regardless of the kind of father we are or were, or regardless of the father that we had. Everybody is incomplete. Incomplete. Except for the love of our Heavenly Father that comes in Christ Jesus. He is the only one that can truly make us complete no matter how our earthly fathers treated us or not, no matter how we've done as fathers, no matter how successful we've been, none of us rise to the level, rise to the standard of God's heavenly title as father. Jesus is the image of God and God is the everlasting father and through Jesus we have a perfect father. It's not even a comparison. Not even a comparison with cultural fathering. It doesn't even come close, right? Like, we've got Rob Kenny, who's a good guy, who's just wanting to help people out, wanting to teach them a couple things, wanting to teach them how to change a tire, how to jumpstart a car. But we have here Jesus, who teaches us not just how to love, but how to be loved. We have Jesus who teaches us how to care for, how to protect, how to provide, and how to be faithful to pursue, even in the state of rebellion. Because this is what he does for us. What do we do with this? What are some of our action steps? I want to share just a few practical ideas with you. First of all, I want us to see God as Heavenly Father. Maybe that doesn't seem all that practical. Here's what I mean. For some of you, maybe you do have a distorted image of God the Father because maybe you didn't have a father that was great, that didn't show you the qualities of love and care and compassion. And so now to take that image and project it onto your heavenly father can be really, really difficult. So what I want you to do is I want you to begin to see God as the heavenly and perfect and everlasting Father that will never leave you, that will come for you, 
And so a way that you could do that practically, I want to just give you something really easy to do. This week, from now until Christmas Eve, just spend 10 minutes every morning and ask God in prayer, God, help me to see you as Heavenly Father, as a perfect Father, as an everlasting Father. And allow Him to fill you with that joy and that assurance that He will care for you, He will protect you, and He will love you unconditionally. That's the first thing. The second thing, I want us to stop measuring success by cultural standards and instead by biblical standards. If you're looking at your father, if you're looking at your husband who's a dad to your kids and you're measuring their success by the functions that are considered successful in our culture, don't just stop there. Ultimately measure their success by their ability and willingness to love and care for their kids. We've got to change the way that we measure success. Third, all of us, regardless of what your dad was like, regardless if you're a dad or not, all of us are called as followers of Jesus to imitate this father attribute of God, right? He's given us a job as the church. We too are supposed to care for the widow, the orphan, the fatherless among us. All of us have a job to do. And that's wrapped up perfectly in this one word, disciple. All of us are called to make disciples. It's not a suggestion. This is a command. The final words of Jesus before he ascends to the Father. If you're watching online, you want more information on that, we're going to put a link for what we call the life journey. And for those of us in the room, there's a whole life journey wall out in the lobby. I encourage you to look at more information. We're going to be starting up again in February of 2021. But if you need tools, if you need to learn how to become a disciple maker, we want to come alongside you and help you with that. This is what we must do as the church, is disciple. Lastly, for those of you who have deep father wounds, I want you to be able to experience healing. And that's going to take much more than just a few minutes in prayer. But I want to at least start with that. For some of you, the moment I started this message and mentioned the word father, some of you in the room felt incredible shame. I just, I wrote that word down. I just, as I was praying before walking up here, I wrote it down because it felt like that God is trying to get somebody's attention, either watching online or in this room. That you feel just the burden and the weight of shame and it's weighing you down. Maybe because you had an inadequate father. And if that's you, I just want to say I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for how that has disallowed you from being able to see God as a perfect and everlasting Heavenly Father. I'm sorry that it's made it hard for you to have faith and trust in maybe other men in your life as well. I'm so sorry. 
I want you to begin to, or at least continue to experience healing if that's you. And so if you need to, just close your eyes to remove some distractions to do that. I want to walk you through a time of healing. And for those of you who feel shame, because maybe your dad never said the words, I love you. Never said the words, I'm proud of you. For those of you that feel shame as a result of that, I want you to think about this story that we've told probably hundreds of times. It's called the prodigal son. A father has two sons. One son leaves and spends all this money on wild living. The other son stays behind and does all of the work that he's told to do. But there's an element about shame in that story. It's this moment when the younger son comes back home and the father, seeing him a long way off, runs out to him, which in that culture, a man of great wealth, of nobility, would not run because that would bring shame on himself and his entire family. And yet, and yet he runs. He runs to pursue his son. There's a moment later where they're having a party for this young son. And the older son is furious and he leaves the party because he wants nothing to do with it. And he argues with his father about all of the time that he has stood by his father's side. And his father leaves the party to go talk to him. Also, bringing shame upon himself and his family. To leave a party, you would not do that in that culture. Both sons disobey the father. Both sons are rebellious. And yet the father, both times puts the shame on himself to restore the relationship. This is the picture of God, our Heavenly Father. If you are feeling shame because of wounds that you received from your Father, receive healing and freedom from your shame. pray something like this. God, I'm so tired and broken. I have never fully experienced the love of a father. God, I've looked everywhere for security, for protection. And I just keep going back to the feelings of shame and insecurity. Never had father figure show me love and grace and compassion. It was all based on merit. I'm tired and I'm broken. I need your love, Father God. heard about this eternal 
everlasting Father quality, this reality that in Jesus, we can have new life now and forevermore. I want to invite you to commit your life to Jesus, to be part of the family, to say yes to Jesus, a life with Jesus that is a life everlasting. And if that's you, I want to invite you to pray. God, I don't even know if I'm I'm speaking to just the air or if you're really here, but I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to trust that you are with me. And God, I want your son Jesus to come into my life and to lead me, guide me into all truth, into freedom, into peace. once again, thank you so much for joining us and listening to this message. Um, If you felt like you needed some additional prayer and support and encouragement uh, for any of the things that I was able to talk about, would you please reach out to us? And you can do that by going to our now page. That's lifechurchcanton.org slash now. And at the bottom, there's a connect card. There's also prayer request. For some of you, you might just like to share a story. All of those buttons are available on our now page at the bottom. And so I encourage you to go ahead and check that out. Uh, But do reach out if you are in need of some care and support. And I want to remind you uh, that we have Christmas Eve coming uh, this Thursday. Christmas Eve is uh, happening. We're going to have an in-person service, one at 2.30 and one at 4.15. If you're not able to make it and you'd prefer to engage with us digitally, we're going to have a special online digital Christmas experience for you or for the whole family. Uh, and, and you can also share that with a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, whatever you'd like to do. So um, Merry Christmas. We'll see you soon.